How many of you know Pastor Michael? How many of you met Pastor Michael before? <laughs> Wonderful. So we are going to spend this morning just talking about relationships. In worship, uh, in the worship rehearsal and the lyrics that we were just singing, the whole idea, how majestic God's voice is, but how majestic his whispers are. This relationship that we have with Pastor Michael in Kenya, we'll get into a lot of the definition of this, but it really just came from an initial whisper of God into my soul from his son that we'll get into that context and give a lot of definition of just what we're doing in this relationship, why this is an important relationship for us as a congregation, and God's drive behind it. But before we do so, I want you to turn into your Bibles, because we always want to be in the Word of God. We'll pick up our study in 2 Samuel next week. But open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, famous passage known as the Great Commission, which defines not our congregation, but the entire body of Christ, Jesus is the one that gives us the instruction in regards to what we're supposed to do. Yes? Or are you waiting for my instructions? If you're waiting for my instructions, stop. We'll listen to Jesus. This is uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through the end. It says, Jesus came and spoke to his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, so travel outside. I mean, this can be to neighbor. This can be even to your household. This can be halfway around the world. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. Cause others through your life, through your words, through your actions. Cause other human beings to follow Jesus, to become disciples of Jesus, of all the nations, so of all peoples. Baptizing them. Baptism is this, it's a, it's a symbolic act when you raise your hand, when you're bowing your knee and your heart and you're looking to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, come into my life. Be my king, be my savior. Baptism is a public identification that you are his and he is yours. You're identifying with his death for your sins. It's this image of burial, and when you come up out of that water, it's imaging to all around you. I am a new man. I am a new woman. I am a new creature in Christ. My life is in his life. The life that I am living is according to the power of his resurrection. That's the importance of baptism. So if you have not been baptized, we can dunk you under this stage. Whenever you feel like it, we can take you to Lake Lanier. We can take you to a creek that's down the hill that's probably gross that you don't want to do when it's cold. But wherever you want to be baptized, <laughs> we'll do it. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching. Everything that's a major portion of my role as a pastor, of Michael's role as a pastor, is in teaching. What does the Word of God say? Who has God revealed himself to be? So we are to teach all of those who are following Jesus to observe the things that he has commanded, not man's tradition, not denomination, not church stuff, but we are teaching his words and his words alone, trusting in the promise. He says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Last 2,000 years, every single local congregation throughout the world, this is the mission. So in regards to this mission, for us as a congregation, we inherited this behavior from prior leadership. So we tithe on all of the revenue, all the income that comes into our congregation. We turn around to give and designate 10% to missions. This works out to about 25% lands in domestic missions and 75% lands in foreign missions. For the foreign missions, a heavy portion goes to Kenya and Uganda and to WIFN that's in Zambia. And I'll give some definitions behind what WIFN is. It's a word mashing together widows and orphans in this ministry and how they've come alongside of even what Michael is doing in Kenya. So pictures, what do we have? I want to give you the region in Kenya. So Nairobi is the capital that's down there in the south. The red circle, that, that is the community of Mongoma. This is Michael's hometown mm -hmm. there in the that's west. Right. Mm -hmm. All those little stars are places that I star on my phone as we go around. So we go into Uganda also. But that's in Mongoma County and Busia County there in western Kenya. Next picture, please. 
All right, this defines God's whisper. So who knows Meshach? This is Michael's son, Meshach. <laughs> One of my favorite human beings. For this is, I want to spend a lot of time talking about relationship. Michael is not just a co-laborer in Christ. This is my brother. This is my brother's father. His wife, Christine, is sitting over by my mom. When Meshach took me to Kenya for the first time, he took me as a brother into his family's home. We don't go and stay in a hotel. We go and we stay on this family's property and their hospitality is absolutely incredible. But that hospitality of them willing to receive this white guy from halfway around the world to come into his home and to his family is based on Meshach. So Meshach and Beth, I'm not sure what year that they got married, but they moved to Georgia so Meshach could finish his PhD at Georgia State. So Meshach was raised by a single father and his grandmother and aunts up until he was 10 years old. When he was 10, that's when Michael married Christine, and the two of them have nine kids together. So this is the snapshot I want to give you of Meshach's heart. For relationships, you know, I see the, Benjamin, the Benjamites, as we like to call them, sitting over here. You know, the Lord brought our family here in 2012. In 2013, we knew that, this, that I was going to transition into the role of being a pastor for this congregation. That was the season that the Benjamins showed up. That was the season that Beth and Meshach also showed up. So when it's a small church, there's like 10 or 15 people here on a Sunday. You know, she's waddling in here pregnant with, uh, with Sarah, who's now nine years old. Again, we've already been through some cycles of life together as families and in relationships. I was talking about this on Wednesday night, and it's a subject that the Lord's been bringing to my soul that he's been whispering to me this week. How long do relationships take? Luke, how long have you known me? You trust me yet? A little bit. <laughs> but are you still getting to know me as pastor, as brother? Mm -hmm. It takes time to build relationship. Michael, I've known for about eight years now. It takes time to build relationships. And what I want to focus on this morning is listening. For me, it's extremely important to listen to the voice of God, not only in my personal life, but in our congregation's life. There are thousands of worthy ministries that we can invest in. But this is a relationship that God gave to us to invest in, and it's because of that man that's up there on the wall. So again, Meshach is an incredible man of God. The first time that he took me to Kenya, I picked him up at his house. I'm watching him say goodbye to his wife, his two young sons at that time. They now have three boys. I'm watching this big bodybuilder, tough guy that's always smiling. I mean, he's just, he's just a wonderful guy. I'm watching, I'm watching his tenderness towards his wife. I'm watching him cry. And then I got to follow him halfway around the world, and I got to watch him serve his mom and his dad, and I got to watch him serve his siblings. Next picture. So it's kind of dull. In the left-hand side up there, there's four of Meshach's sisters. You got Anne and Andrea and Terry and Elizabeth. They're there. They're there. The pot that's on the floor, that's chapati. I can't eat flour in the U.S., but Kenya flour, I can eat, and I can eat it like crazy. It is a huge labor of love. That's why I put that picture up there, because it's all about me. When I think of Kenya, I think of Chapati, because, again, the, the hospitality is absolutely amazing. The last time we were there, that is Meshach's brother, Emmanuel, and I was able to officiate their wedding, which is just a humble privilege. That is his wife, Mary Goretti. And I'm looking forward to getting to know her as a sister also. Next picture. Well, family, this is what I want to just communicate uh, from what Meshach has taught me in regards to investing in relationships. The Lord has sent him on a specific track, married his wife, and they as a couple have a very specific heart to continue to minister to their family. It's a cultural thing. One, Meshach is firstborn. But in the affluence that the Lord has provided him here in America, Meshach is investing in his family back in Kenya. His oldest sister, Helen, is a nurse. Next sister, Francilla, is a social worker, and we'll talk about how she uh, helps serve the widows and the kids as we're serving there in Kenya. Emmanuel has a bachelor's degree in teaching, but he's been waiting for three, again, different economy. He has been waiting for three years 
for a job to be appointed as a teacher in his culture. We were talking yesterday, contrast of cultures. In Kenya, you have people who want to work and no jobs. In America, we have jobs galore and people don't want to work. It's, it's, it's totally strange to him, mm-hmm. and it's strange to us too, but again, just a difference in what's going on in our, in our current communities. He's invested in multiple siblings. One of his sisters, Anne, she just finished, uh, she's going to be a doctor. She's finished medical school. She's waiting for the government to appoint her to a residency so she can continue her training to become a doctor in that community. I'm bringing all that up to say that it's Meshach is continuing to invest in his family. And it's not just Meshach because it's Christine and Michael as they're raising their 10 children together watching. I've been able to go and live in their house and get to know their kids and see the effect that Michael and Christine have had upon their own household and their own children. And not only that, it's helped me to understand how he ministers as a pastor in his community, how he serves the pastors, how he serves the widows, and how he serves the orphans. Next picture. All right, so I'm going to shut up now, and we're going to start asking Michael some questions. On the left-hand side, that is Calvary Chapel, Mongoma. Our congregation built that church. I don't remember what year. Was yeah, that 2017, 2018? 2017. 2017. Yeah. Bob McKenna's there sitting in the middle circle. Raise your hand there, Bob. Bob helps continue to serve with the ministry that's going on. Um, that is also a church, just no building, and that's in Uganda. <laughs> so we're going to ask Michael a variety of questions. Before we get there, I'm going to give you God's heart just out of a few verses in the Bible, and this is going to define a lot of the relationship. Exodus 22:22 22 says, you shall not afflict, you shall not mistreat or oppress any widow or fatherless child. So an orphan by biblical definition is a child whose dad is dead. So the father has passed away, or the father is absent, or both mom and dad have passed away. Psalm 68.5 says, a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Isaiah 1.17 says, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, Mm -hmm. and plead for the widow. James 1.27 says, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, which a visit, again, it's not to go, I mean, you can go and live if that's what God tells you to do, but it's to step into somebody's context, to step into their trouble and help out according to the majestic whispering of God in your mind as you're engaging those individuals. So to visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So Michael, as, as I want to give you a lot of communication just to everybody's here to help define what does a church building look like for believers gathering in Kenya and Uganda. So what does the church mean? Uh, before that, I want to, to agree with him on the call of a Great Commission. And you find Jesus Christ before going in heaven. He's going up in the clouds and he speak say koi into the world yeah. and put the gospel yeah. and then he said the harvest is plenty but the laborers are very few yes. so what he's saying is true and anybody who refused to listen to the voice of God he will never make you testy Jesus is talking about a uh, 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 you should do the work while it is day, because night comes when nobody is ever going to work, and that is in John, John, 19, John 9, verse 4, when he was opening the eye of a blind man. So uh, as a judge, I want to agree with him. Let us listen to what God is speaking to us, each and every individual, because you have time, to speak to the Lord in your life. Yes. And when the Lord says, yes, don't say no. When you say no, do not say yes. Okay, let me, let me go back to this question. The church in Kenya, 
Uh, not, that, not that building. Not that building anyway. But the church is, is, a, is a combination of believers. People who know Christ, they come together and they form a group like this one and they build a building. So the building is not the church. The church is we, the people. The church in Kenya comprising uh, men and women and youth and children is a, a combined force whereby people come together who have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. They have faith in Christ. They have baptism, immersion, and they are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we call the born-again Christian child. And that means they have the eyes to see the will of God. And they have the ears to listen to what God is speaking to them. They also have faith and hope and trust that one day Jesus Christ is going to appear in the cloud. And we are going to leave this world and be taken back home for eternity. So uh, we meet together the way we are meeting here and we worship. And uh, the worship in Kenya is a little bit uh, not like here because people jump. <laughs> and you saw they jump like was here. My boys were there too. So we jump and we, you know, we praise the Lord and people are, are excited. It, just so you know, it's music blaring out of the doors <laughs> to the community because it's inviting others to come in and worship. You know, this is, this is a dirt road that you see in front of it. So as they're beginning worship, it's a call for everybody in the community to come exactly. and they worship for a while. Exactly. And that's why we need to go to give both Sandy loudspeakers and so on. But anyway, the church is built on, for example, like I say, my church or my ministry is built on uh, salvation, which is evangelism, uh, church planning, and nurturing the young converts, and also we deal with development projects. So those are the core values, what the church stands for. We, we preach for people to get saved, we bring them to church, and we teach them how they can be able to mature in the word of the Lord. So, and uh, like Blake say, evangelism is the most important aspect that church brings people. Meaning, yeah, you bring people to church. Because you go over the marketplace, or you go over the, maybe, uh, the ground somewhere, and you station the, the music, and, and you, you know, you people sing, and the evangelist is there to preach the gospel of sinners to come to Christ. Same way I saw the young man here, he's doing very well. So we do that, and we call people to repent, come to Jesus Christ. There's no way you can make it to heaven unless you accept the Lord Jesus Christ. So it does that work. And uh, most cases, uh, teaching in the church is very important because we believe that if somebody doesn't know the Bible, how can he serve God? How can he be a Christian? So we take them. The way pastor is doing here, we take the Bible exhaustively and try to make follow-up with the members who have not come to church, uh, especially my wife. She's so much active in uh, personal, uh, personal home, visiting the, those members who are not coming to the church and then talk to them and restore them. If there's any problem, they pray together and, you know, everything is solved, they come together for growth. Thank you. Point of this question, how different does the church in Kenya sound like the church in America? It's identical, right? Why? This is people. It's people struggling in their own flesh under the conviction of the Holy Spirit that something is wrong, something is off in life, 
and looking for a solution. And the gospel comes rushing in and gives us that answer and gives us that truth and that restoration. But when it comes to building a building or just meeting underneath a tree, the gathering of the body of Christ is the exact same throughout the world. Like you said, the worship's a little bit different, but again, is, is stoic worship or vibrant worship, is it both still worshiping God? So again, we talked about this recently. Have, have the freedom to worship your God as he is whispering to your soul and have that freedom to worship him, whether it's in quietness, if it's on your knees, if it's sitting down, if it's jumping up and down, he's the one that motivates all of that. All right, with every church, next slide, you need what? These are the guys that I choose to invest in. This is, this is my heart. So when I go, the first trip that I went was come and see. It was going and visiting the widows and the orphans and the pastors and their congregations and just really getting to know Michael, getting to know the community and just seeing what was going on is my first time over there. Since then, the next three times, every time I go, I, my intention personally is to invest in the pastors. So as much time as I can have with the pastors, I sit and, and teach and go through the Word of God. So now this question for you, Michael, is what does it look like to be a pastor in Kenya and Uganda? So uh, Michael is a bishop, which means that he is over not just a singular congregation, but he is a pastor of pastors in the community. So he's there serving other men and helping educate them and equip them for the ministry that the Lord has called them to do. Um, and it, uh, we do ongoing monthly support to specifically invest in the pastors. Economic conditions are extremely hard. So for pastors to be able to take care of their households and minister in the name of the Lord, they need extra finances to be able to do that. So our congregation is specifically investing in the pastors month by month. But tell us what it's like to be a pastor in Kenya and Uganda. What's good, what's bad, what's hard, what's easy? <laughs> okay, um, I'll start my, with myself before I talk to yeah. somebody else. Uh, I grew up uh, in a religious work and I hope there were Catholics, people who did not know Christ. And uh, I told him my father, I lost my father when I was three years old and brought, brought up by my mother. And at the age of 18 years, uh, the Lord miraculously called me. That was 1972. And no young man in the community was saved. But it's like coming from school, and I meet a lady, she prayed to me, say, you need to get saved. You need to receive Jesus Christ as a personal savior. And then I, you know, just convicted there and there, and she prayed for me. And I started my journey of being a Christian, a born-again Christian. And um, at a certain point, my pastor left our community church and went somewhere else. And uh, so I assumed the responsibility of a pastor at the age of 22 years. Because there was nobody in the church who could speak or write or read. I was the only one. Did you guys pick up on that? So his, they, pastor, his pastor leaves and Michael's the only one that can read and write. And here comes the calling of the Lord in his life. But anyway... It was only by the grace of God because I was only in school for seven years. But by the grace of God, I was able to read English, Kiswahili, Lubokusu, and I could also talk. So by the grace, I assumed to be the pastor and started the job of preaching the gospel of Christ to the community and the people. To be a pastor in Kenya, first of all, you need to have the calling. God calls you in the ministry to be a leader in that particular area. And uh, after that, stand on the Broadway or wherever and preach the gospel to our people come to join in the church. And that's a very hard job, you know, uh, leaving your home your wife back home 
and you go alone maybe to go on the street to preach to our people, you need the grace of God. So after that, uh, when God gives you grace and you have like four, five people, six people, ten, then you come together and uh, you know, look for a way to build a church or a building. Like I said, you start, you know, teaching and preaching. On the other side, the family need you and the ministry also need you. So you are torn in between. During my time, the Kenyan community, people did not want to get saved. The reason why, if you get saved, you are poor. So people say, how can I get saved and become poor? So the rich men and the rich women say, you can't get saved to be poor. They didn't understand why God Jesus was talking about Lazarus and the rich man. So the people believed a rich man is well off and Lazarus is poor because he was a good man before God. It wasn't like that. Lazarus was only poor because that was his situation. So they misinterpreted that when you get saved, you become poor, and that was not right. Anyway. So the pastor is a study between the ministry and the family. He has to provide for the children to go to school. He has to feed the family. He has to go on the farm. Like most of us, we have farm at home. So we go on farming, hoeing, whatever. You have to produce food for your family. Unless, if you don't do that, then things won't be good. So uh, the pastor will struggle, take care of the family. At the same time, he has to fulfill the calling that God has called him to do. Back in 1960s, 70s, when T.L. Osborne, Bill Graham, Oral Roberts, and great men of God who were here, they brought the gospel in our country. And when they preached the gospel, it was very good because it was with wonders and signs and miracles, being people, people getting healed and, you know, blessed. And people filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And then at the end of the conference or the, the meeting, they could call people to come on the altar, say, God has called you to go and preach to fulfill the Great Commission, which was very correct and true. And men would come for prayer to go in the field to win souls in the kingdom. Uh, I, I, I was not there because I was a young man, but they were given ties and coats and shoes and, and lingua tap. You know yeah. the lingua tap? The, the, the microphone, you, you carry it here and you all go, you go on preaching in some pie schools and, and even uh, Bibles. That was good. So somebody is empowered to go in the village to preach. But now, what about Eli and Asha and the Jews back home? They forgot their homes because God has called them to go and preach which was good. But we missed a point whereby we did not take care of the family when we were going to minister. Anyway, it happened, but we have corrected now because they even, don't, they, they even didn't want to go to work because they say a Levite should eat with the altar. You know that verse? Yeah. A pastor should not work. There is that kind of conception back home. I refused it, and I'm teaching people to, to work. So a pastor is uh, pastor is uh, somebody who who need uh, you know encouragement. Because sometimes they are disappointed. After preaching the gospel, you come back home. There's no food. The children are not, are not going to school, and you get disappointed. So 
you know, they, they, they get hurting the, the heart. So uh, we encourage them or they encourage themselves in the Lord and to continue. Uh, a pastor, uh, uh, when I finish, I want to say that a, a pastor, uh, need some people to stand with. They need to be encouraging the word of God. They also need to be supported in any way the Lord opened the door. Those I know, my friends and those that work under our ministry, Calvary Chapel Pungoma, which is Christ Foundation Ministries, we have good time together because God has given me like Plague and other friends, we interact and I, I, I can find out and know the best way to help them. And uh, I encourage them not to be lazy, they should work. That's the most important thing we are doing so that they can become self-sustainable. But as I say, uh, pastor has a call to preach and pastor has a call to take care of his family. So there's all that if he's not able to be supported in one way or the other. Like, uh, let me say, like, uh, just to mention before, ahead, Tony, my brother, my friend, he's been, uh, he's been doing a very good job because he has bought four cows, either four or three, I'm not sure anyway. <laughs> And we give our pastor a, ma a daily girl. Then he, he can maintain that car. We call it whole car project. When he's gone, the wife can be able to milk and sell milk and help himself. And he has done that. And we still pray that God will open another door for him or for other people to continue that project. So I think the pastor is a, is a man who pray, the pastor is a man who teach, the pastor is a man who is concerned about his flock, and the pastor is a man who is going for evangelism every time. pastor is a man who is listening to the church members' problems, pray together, advise, solve those problems, give them courage, and tell them we can move. Any different? Pretty much my job description, don't you think? Um, next picture, please. By the way, uh, we'll get on our webpage uh, under, it's under connect and then outreach. There's a description on how you can get involved, like specifically if you want to buy a cow, there's ways to designate gifts on there. Um, there's also links to WIFN that we're going to talk about right now that's uh, where you can help sponsor a child and help support widows. So this is a picture from the first year that I went. These four ladies are uh, widows in Uganda. Um, but tell us what it means for a woman to be a widow in Kenya, Uganda, and how these women that are part of the congregations, how the congregations walk alongside of them. I'm in the picture, but I'm not a widow, son. <laughs> Okay, um, a widow is a, is a lady who lost his husband, or her husband, sorry. Maybe an accident, maybe natural death, maybe HIV, or any other illness. And uh, she's left back alone with her in a mud Christ house or in a good house, I don't know, wherever it is. But in most cases, uh, she, she's now a breadwinner in the family. And some of them, they don't know how to provide as ladies because the man is always on the run to bring food home. So when this man is gone and she's left alone, first of all, there's misery in the home. And even you can tell because 
you know, wailing and, you know, crying and, you know, being sympathetic. Say, what am I going to do? I'm left alone. All the atmosphere creeps the family and they are left like this. Eh? All of a sudden, there must be a way to live. So, uh, some of them, they'll go to work for people on the farms. And that's the only job they can get. And they'll work from morning up to 3 a.m. to be able to get like, uh, Christine, how is, is that uh, 100 shillings or 200? Approximately 200, which is about uh, two dollars. Mm -hmm. Maybe two dollars. And she works from morning to 3 p.m. Very exhausted. She comes home very exhausted, very tired. And uh, she starts life, which is different from what she had been living. So uh, some of the young ladies end up in uh, commercial sex to be able to provide because there's no way. And some of them, uh, they decide their homes and leave behind the kids to suffer when they go in the cities to look for a job. And it's very embarrassing and very touching. So uh, we have people who have died when they are rich or well-off, and there are some just completely naked. They have no, they cannot go right, they can't go behind, they can't go right, they can't go left. So um, the Kenya government has no scheme or program to help the orphans and the widows. And if there is, I don't know in Mugoba, maybe Nairobi. And even if they have that program, I'm not sure that that money comes on the ground where that poor lady is. It appears in the middle somewhere in the air. I don't know how I can describe that. So um, the widow lives desperate in the home. In many cases, they go without food. But they have to exist because they don't die just two, three days. So maybe somehow God can touch a, a neighbor and uh, you know, pass by and see the situation and be able to assist. Otherwise, the kids cannot go to school because if they cannot eat, how can they go to school? Uh, the gates cannot have clothes. If they cannot eat, how can they buy clothes? More so, shoes and good health. Uh, to describe a window, we have many words, but I think uh, that's how I yeah. think it looks like. But uh, like, like who? as we said, some of the homes. And he knows. At a certain point, we were in Busia and uh, we went to visit one of the ladies. Her husband died HIV. And then uh, she, she has uh, like three kids. The daughter was not in the house. So uh, we are sitting in the house and then uh, one of the child comes from Nasser school. And she said, ah, Mama, blah, 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 blah. I even didn't know that I said the language. But uh, Misha asked the widow, what is your son saying? 
So he was asking for extra cloth, which is in the sack. You know the sack? How do you say sack here? The sack is a... Well, it's, it's like a, a box, but, you know, uh, it's like a... It's a it, we call it a sack, or I don't know how you call it here. Okay. So uh, they don't have even a place to put those rags, clothes. Uh, so uh, that is the situation. And they need help. The widows need help. If there is any way we can help them, they need that help of you so that they can be able to leave and be there tomorrow yeah. to take care of the orphans and other business in their homes. Go to the next picture, Bethany. So this is a picture of a group of kids. The first year that we went, this is us taking them out to lunch. We were able to take them and go get some shoes, which, you know, school shoes are like a buck. I mean, really easy to buy. Um, how many children are currently being sponsored on a monthly basis? Is it 57? Yeah, at the moment you have 57. So through Wiffen. So Wiffen is Widows and Orphans. It's a ministry that began uh, by a couple here in Atlanta. They were supporting a mi missionary in Zambia. That husband passed away, and they continued to send the money to support the wife there in Indola. And that wife took that money, and she began to minister to other widows and to take care of other orphans in that community. That has grown into a school, that has grown into a data processing center. So there's an American business where they're training uh, the natives there in Zambia, data processing, so it gives them employment so these women aren't selling themselves in the community. Our congregation, we support them in Indola on a monthly basis for uh, training and hospitality. So kind of like in their local, uh, their local hotels and those kinds of things. So the skills that they need to get a job in that arena is what our congregation is supporting. So that relationship became a relationship that we were helped to introduce to Michael. So they already had a child sponsorship program going on, and as we were encountering orphans there the first trip that we go, how do we help give a handshake to those who can help support these children on a monthly basis, which provides for food, it provides for their school, uh, their school fees, they have to have a uniform to go to school, helps in some basic medical treatment is what that uh, support helps with. So Wiffen came alongside and now they have a Wiffen Kenya where they're helping maintain the, the child sponsorship there in Kenya. So again, on our website, on Wiffen, I looked on there this morning, we're gonna, we're gonna fix it because it says that there's no available children to sponsor in Kenya, which is absolutely not true. But again, all of the kids that are being sponsored through our congregation or through the different relationships um, that are being sponsored there in Kenya, every single one of these kids, they're tied to a congregation. These are kids that are in the church. These are widows that are in the church. There's relationships. There's, there's knowledge. You know what their needs are. Michael can't go and take care of every single one of the households, but he can go visit these widows in their trouble to help stand in the gap. Part of what Wiffen does there in Indola in, in training widows' skills in their communities so that they can become self-sustaining. That is the same uh, goal and the initial phases of that have been going on in Kenya, specifically when it comes to sewing. Our congregation, uh, we bought a property a few years ago knowing you know, the prices kept going up. So property was available that's close to the church that we purchased for, uh, for the specific goal of building a building. So again, you can get on Wiffen's website and has all the finance targets and what the goal of this building is. But it's going to become a training center once the building is built for, for the widows. Uh, there's also a vision that it will become a school starting with the younger kids and investing in them uh, as they're little and uh, to help have a day school. There, there's a whole bunch of different relationships that we are now totally out of time to define. But what I want to do, next picture, last picture. Um, there's my daughter with a bunch of little kids and they love touching her white skin and blonde hair. 
with all those little kids are awesome as you go and visit. But see that little guy on my leg there on the right? This is what it's all about for me. This is, this is relationship. This is my first trip there. This is Bryson. I'm the first white guy Bryson has ever seen. <laughs> this is uh, Meshach's sister, Helen. This is her son. Um, I can remember Bryson sitting in Michael's lap, and I'm in his house, mm. and Bryson is just crawling up Grandpa trying to get away from me. And Michael, Michael's grabbing his hand to, yeah, yeah. To, to touch my skin. You know, I'm not a monster. But I'm, there, but I'm there for a week, right? Same thing occurs to me. You know, you go back to the toddler class here. I, as a man, if I go back to the toddlers and those kids have never seen me, I'm a monster. They're crawling out of their skin to get away from me. This is, this is the last day, so this is on, I've been there all week, totally afraid of me, but he's been watching me the whole time. And as he's watching me, he's seeing that I'm safe. I've just preached there, I'm hanging out with people, hugging, handshakes, all that kind of stuff. I'm just talking to this guy. I have no idea that Bryson's even around me, and I feel this little hug on my leg. And again, this, this is one of my favorite pictures because it's a definition for me and Jesus. It's a definition of safety. It's a definition of security. It's a definition of relationship. You know, Bryson's big now. He's like mm -hmm. a tank. Um, Going to be the size of Meshach in no time. Um, but this is where I wanted to end in this imagery because when I think about Kenya, this is what I think about. I think about relationships. When I look in this room, this is what I think about church. I think about us hugging on each other participating in one another's life, just not as members of a congregation, but as family members in the body of Christ. I'm a, I'm a total unknown entity, not just stranger, but a, I mean, whatever his imagination was as a two-year-old kid, that I went from monster to somebody that he was willing to embrace at the end of a week. So when I go to Kenya, and again, this is the relationship, this is the family, and this is the invite. We're not going to go this year, but we will go in 2024. It takes two days to get in. It takes two days to get out. And it's worth every hour on an airplane. It's worth every, you know, sleepless moment. When we land there and we get into, into Michael's property, you're stepping onto the property of brothers and sisters in Christ. You're stepping onto a property of true family relationships where you're watching all the family dynamics going on at the same time, and you're being welcomed in as a brother and sister, then taken out into the community to serve and to see and to come back and to be an ambassador. Tony's been there. Tony, was it a miserable trip? It was horrible, and it was what, all at the same time? <laughs> it was awesome. Bob, do you want to go back? <laughs> it, is, it is a hard trip. I'm not going to lie. It's not for the faint-hearted. It's not for, uh, uh, there's, there's, that's all that is included with travel. But every single moment of the relationship is worth it. And again, getting back to the very beginning, this is a relationship that God initiated by bringing Meshach and Beth into our congregation. It's a conversation that initiated as, you know, Meshach is like selling his dad in Kenya, right? You need to come check out and see what my dad's doing and what's going on. There's, as he was talking about pastors, there's a lot of unhealthy pastors and a lot of unhealthy congregations in Kenya, and it has all different kinds of issues that you need to be wise in those relationships. This is a safe relationship. This is a secure relationship. And, and in questioning Michael today, I wanted you to hear his voice, that he is no different than me. The first time that I met him, it was, here is a like-minded man of God. If he were ministering in America, he'd be part of the Calvary Chapel family because he loves Jesus. He loves the word. He's teaching verse by verse. He's investing in other pastors in his community to make sure that they're raised up. He's preaching the gospel. He's teaching the word of God. He's investing in those who are in trouble in his community. He's loving his wife. His children are doing well. I mean, who? nine kids. You want three more? No, that's what I thought. <laughs> Ten kids with Meshach. All of that to say is I want you to know that this man 
is not just a brother in Christ, but, you know, the, the relationship is a lot deeper. And we, as a congregation, we get to invest our dollars into that community and not just our dollars, but our time. This is something that is as long as the Lord tarries, we will continue to invest in them and to help them grow and to help them do the work of the ministry there in Kenya and Uganda and other places in a congregation. John, come on up. Let's finish in worship, and let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. Um, I am not only thankful for life and for salvation, but I'm very thankful for the brothers and sisters in Christ that you have brought along my path on my journey over the years. You know, for, for a relationship like Meshach, you blow on a family for a period of time and then you send them on because you have other plans and purposes for their life. But Lord, it's never, it's never, um, it's, not that, it's not that they're gone, Lord. I just, I'm just thankful for that connection that you gave me with the Samadis, not just here in the U.S., but Michael and Christine and the kids. I'm so thankful for the hospitality, the Christian hospitality and love that they have demonstrated to me. I'm so thankful, Lord, that you've given us as a congregation um, people that are worthy of being invested in, Lord, that we know that they're faithful and trustworthy and that they're loving you and they're seeking to be used by you in your community. Lord, we're thankful for the fruit that you're producing through them and those in that community. So when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the men and to the women, the husbands and wives and children, when it comes to the widows and the orphans, Lord, all that's going on there, Lord, we ask that you would lead and protect and guide and give all of the increase for your glory, Lord. May you bless Michael and his bride, Christine. May you bless them as parents and grandparents, as, as ministers there in their community. And Lord, may you continue to bless our relationship. Um, Lord, I really do think that I've been more blessed than, than they have for sure, just in the relationship. So Lord, so thank you. Thank you for speaking. Thank you for, thank you for whispering your majestic voice into our souls. And Lord, we're going to, to jump up and shout and worship you and praise you and express our gratitude for who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray.